Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. <coughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So our passage this morning is out of Matthew chapter 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all about what is the identity of the Christian. See, we need to, be, we need to know who we are if we're going to go in pursuit of this life that Jesus would have us to follow. We've got to identify that. The secular world gets it. They understand that. Um, if you don't know who you are, then you're going to kind of wander about and, and go lots of different places. So you need to know who you are. Shakespeare, this above all to thine own self be true. Ralph Ellison, he wrote The Invisible Man, he put it this way. He said, when I discover who I am, I'll be free. When I discover who I am, I'll be free. And it's in Scripture, too. You see this in, in identity changes. Remember, Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. And for us this morning, it, if you remember, there's this guy that hung out with Jesus. His name was Simon. And there, he was the one who's, when asked, who, who, who am I? So you are the Messiah. And Jesus looked at him and changed his whole world by changing his identity from Simon. You know who, who he became? Peter, the rock. Now, Simon, Simon Peter did not get it right all the time. Peter made some mistakes along the way, but he was in pursuit of being the rock all of his life. The, you know, Jesus told him, I'm going to build my church on the cornerstone." That is you, and he did. Peter, Peter followed Jesus all of his life. Now, there are a lot of voices that are trying to push us into a lot of different ideas about who we are. Um, this has resulted in a lot of confusion. You know, in the world, um, there's a whole lot of confusion about identity and purpose in our culture, and it's moved into the church so much that we're, we become uncertain of who we are as Christians. And that keeps us from operating at the level of effectiveness and without the purpose and, most importantly, without the power that comes from God. We, are, we have authority through Christ. There's so much about our identity that can empower us to become more than even we can imagine. But we need to know who we are. And we don't have to be confused about that. Jesus, you know, he's pretty clear about it. I, I'm one of those that that really thinks that God doesn't want us to not know what our purpose is. He doesn't want us to not know what our identity is. He wants us to know those things. We get to go straight to the Alpha and the Omega, the author and finisher of our faith. And he speaks really clearly uh, to let us know. He doesn't say it's going to be easy, but he lets us know this is who you are. And the Matthew 5 through 7, we're going to be there for several weeks. This is, that's the Sermon on the Mount. 
And that's about Jesus saying, this is us. This is us. This is who we are. I know it's a great TV show, but this is us as Christians. So but as we move into that, I do need to cover some groundwork here. There's a couple of things that I think are important as we move into the Beatitudes this morning. The first has to do with a word that you'll see, depending on what translation of the Bible that you're using, you're going to see it translated in different ways. The more common English translation is, is happy. Happy are those. Happy are the peacemakers. Uh, the other is blessed. And depending on which bi- translation of the Bible you have is going to depend on which one of those that you see. Either is a correct translation. Let me say that. Either is a correct translation. This is one of the things why we study Scripture. Because languages, those of you who have studied other languages, do not translate very well across all the time. But I'm going to make the the argument and, and take the position that blessed is the more correct of the translations. The Beatitudes declare an objective reality that's given from a divine source. This is from Jesus. This is God who has given us the, these, the Beatitudes, the blessings. It's not subjective at all. It's, it's objective. It doesn't depend on anything. Jesus said it, and, and he said, here, this is what blessed means, and this is what it looks like. Happy... That, that word, the source of it, and you'll, 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 you'll learn this in the small groups if you want. Um, just saying. Um, happy comes from a word hap, the, the root, which you get other words from like happenstance, happen chance, which are luck, chance. I don't think Jesus is talking about luck here. He's not saying... Well, you know, if you're lucky, then you're going to get this. He's not saying that. Makarios is the word for blessed. It's from the root of it, means long or uh, or large. When you look up Beatitudes in Merriam's in, the, in in Merriam-Webster dictionary, it says the utmost bliss. Utmost bliss. The Beatitudes. It are, a, are a form of utmost bliss. That's where that makarios, it's, it's big, these blessings. It's a, it's a big thing. And I think this distinction is important for us. You know, this, this was written a long time ago. And in that society, uh, the w- words pr- probably meant something a little bit different. Because for us, when you say happy, automatically goes to when things go my way, I'm happy. When things don't go my way, I'm not happy. It depends on my circumstances, whether I'm happy or not. And you can think of blessed and happy in terms of the difference between joy and happiness. There's a gentleman named Phil Anderson. He wrote this. He said, joy is something that confronts my circumstances and occurs in spite of sadness, difficulty, or loss. Being blessed is something that confronts my circumstances, is a part of my life, and occurs in spite of sadness, 
difficulty or loss. It's not dependent on anything, being blessed. Happiness is a good feeling I get when things go a particular way. Joy, or being blessed, is an attitude I adopt in spite of how things go. Joy and blessedness is a posture, it's a position. It's the deep assurance I have that the God who loves me is in control. Joy doesn't happen to me one day and avoid me the next. Being blessed doesn't happen one day and avoid me. This is given to us from Jesus Christ. It's the result of a choice. It's a choice I have to make every day. A choice based on the knowledge that I belong to God who is my refuge. And nothing, not even death, can take God away from me. So when we choose to follow the path that Jesus lays out for us, the result of that is being blessed. doesn't matter what the circumstances I might run into uh, or what's going on in my life because the blessing is from God and there is no circumstance that can separate us from a promise made by God except when we choose to reject God because that's rejecting the blessing. Again, God... You know, he loves us so much that he gives us the ability to say no to him. Please don't. Please don't. Point number two that I, that, that I think is really important as we move into the Beatitudes is to recognize that they are, these aren't eight separate and distinct groups of disciples, some of whom are meek, some of whom are merciful, like this is, you, you're the meek, you're the, the meek disciples going around, but you're being, hum, you're being humble and good job. Don't worry about being a peacemaker or none of that. Um, you're the peacemaking disciples, but you can be arrogant or what. It's not how it works. These eight beatitudes, these eight qualities are for the same group who at one and the same time are meek and merciful, poor in spirit, pure in heart, mourning and hungry, peacemakers and persecutors. Think of it this way. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, Paul gives us the ninefold fruit of the Spirit that each Christian is to exhibit. And if Lane was here, I'd have you tell, him what they, tell you what they are. What's that song? Love, joy, peace. Oh, it's, I'm not a watermelon or something. The fruit of the Spirit's not a... No? That's right. So the, <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is not a watermelon. The fruit of the Spirit is not a watermelon. Oh, I should have used that. <laughs> if you want to be, what is it? If you, if if you want to be a watermelon, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I like that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, that's what the Christian life exhibits. The, that's what the whole Christian life exhibits. What Christ gives us is his ideal for every citizen of that kingdom. So you can look at it like this. If we follow and live in the manner that Christ describes, you know what the fruit's going to look like? Love, joy, peace, patience. That's how this works. Jesus says, here's what the life looks like. And Paul says, when you do that, Here's what the outcome looks like. 
These are connected, even though they're different authors. God's still writing the whole thing. So this is our lifelong pursuit. It's our journey to grow into mature believers. You notice Caden doesn't have his, bo- his bottle with him this morning. If you weren't here, you don't get that. But 45-year-olds need not be on the bottle, right? Yeah, well, wait a minute. That didn't sound right. <laughs> shouldn't be still drinking milk out of the bottle how about that we want to our children and and our youth to grow up and become mature adults in our faith we don't always want to be a baby believer we want to be a mature believer so we want to grow and become who jesus calls us to be followers of jesus not just fans who go woohoo way to go jesus but actual followers who get in the game and play and, and are part of it. And when we do that, Jesus says this to us. He says, you are blessed. You are blessed, Kate. Now, the problem is that we get into these traps. We get into the comparison trap. You know, Jesus says, blessed are you. And we go, yeah, but, you know, I, I really like my neighbor's house. And if I was blessed, I'd have a house like that. Or I'd have a car like that. Or I'd have a job like that. And we start comparing where we are materially to where other people are. And we come up short and we go, you know, I know he says I'm blessed, but I don't, it doesn't look like I'm blessed. Or maybe we have those people in your life. You have those people. Yeah, you need to let go of that church and that Jesus stuff and get work harder. You want, this, you want these material things, and you need to work hard and get after it. Set, out, set aside that faith stuff. That's not going to get you anywhere. And it pulls at us. Some of us even get to the point at times where we may question our blessedness. Am I really blessed? Or am I cursed? See, the opposite of blessing is not being unhappy. The opposite of blessed is cursed. Sometimes we feel that way. But let's go back to our passage for this morning and look at what Jesus said. See if that speaks into each of our current situations, perhaps. See, he says we're blessed. He says we're blessed even if we're utterly helpless and at the end of our rope. Because ours is the kingdom of heaven. He says we're blessed if we've lost what is most dear to us. Because we will be comforted. He says we're blessed when we're humble. He says we'll inherit the earth. He says we're blessed when we're hungry for God because we will be filled. He says we're blessed when we hurt for those who hurt. See life through the eyes of Christ and see the pain and the brokenness and step into that because we will be shown mercy. When we do the right thing just because it's the right thing, for we will see God. We're in the middle of a conflict and we try to, try to work through that and help people to see and we play peacemaker when we're in that place, for you will be called a child of God. When we're persecuted for our faith, you're having that conversation and somebody puts you down. 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. When people talk bad about us or lie about us, for great is your heavenly reward. Jesus says that in spite of all these uncomfortable, all these undesirable things in our lives, we are blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's out of Ephesians 1.3. By God, we are blessed. By God, we are blessed. We are blessed. No matter what we receive or don't receive in the material world, we can rest in the fact that we have been given every spiritual blessing through the completed work of Christ through what he's done. It's his righteousness, his resources, his privilege, his authority, and his power. And that's why we're also promised that during those times in life when we have struggle and hardship and trials, we can rest in the truth that he often works those spiritual blessings, which is what we're talking about, in circumstances that most folks would look at and go, there's no way that can be a blessing. I just came off, I told you I'm up at an Emmaus. In fact, I'm there, I guess, right now, too. Um, I'm up at, up at an Emmaus retreat, and I got to share a little of my story with the men up there. And it blows me away every time that I do that, because the stuff from my past that I try to, <laughs> you know, when I was going through it, I, I tried to ignore it. I didn't want any, I thought it was horrible and terrible, the worst possible thing that could happen. And you know what God has turned that into? He's using that as a connection point for others who have been through similar things. The stuff that was the worst possible in my life, God is using for his glory. Because that's how he works, if we're willing to do that. Some of the greatest spiritual blessings in my life are because of those, those bad experiences that I've had. But until we embrace that we're blessed, how can we be a blessing until we grab hold of that it's it's an identity piece it's not a if things go well piece it's an identity piece it's who you are at your core you're blessed if we don't embrace that blessing then then our willingness to bless others is going to be based on whether or not things are going well if they're going well then then i'll help you if they're not well i can't do it when we know we're blessed, while, even while we are sick, we can help others who are sick. When we know we're blessed, even while we're down, we can encourage others. We can work with the broken and help them find restoration. We, can, we might be limping and help somebody who can't walk. When we grab hold of that identity of ours, that we are indeed blessed. How do we get there? We believe that Paul was right when he says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring charges against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies your blessedness. Your justification comes not from you, not from others. It comes from God himself. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
If you've got that voice in your head that's condemning you, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is a false voice, and it is not from God. It's a false voice, not from God. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Right now. Right now, Judy. Christ is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. Eric, right now. So God is. Jesus is interceding for you right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons or the present or the future or powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what nothing means? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Not a trick question. <laughs> nothing can separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's stop listening to some of that stuff that tries to do that, the comparison trap, the other things that try to pull us away from God. Let's let that stuff go. It's knowing who we are and, most importantly, whose we are that gives us the strength to become who Jesus called us to be. That power comes from outside of us. It comes from the Holy Spirit, and it guides us forward. It guides us into new places. John Stott, who wrote the book that, that we're using as, an, as a kind of an outline for this part of the journey, he points out that these first four Beatitudes reveal a spiritual progression. He writes this. To begin with, we are to be poor in spirit, acknowledging our complete and utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. Next, we are to mourn over the cause of it. Our sins, yes, but our sin, too, the corruption of the fallen nature and the reign of sin and death in the world. Thirdly, we are to be meek, humble, and gentle toward others, allowing our spiritual poverty to condition our behavior to them as well as to God. And fourth, if we are to hunger, that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what is the use of confessing our sin if we leave it there? Confession of sin must lead to hunger for righteousness. And even though we've all fallen short, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in this moment, we're going to take a moment of silence. I want you to think about those things in your life that are between you and God. And turn those over to him.